Hey there, welcome to another episode of This Is My Story. Today I have an amazing friend with me and I know that you're gonna love his story. This is a special edition in honor of 9-11. This is the 20th anniversary and so um, as, as we remember that, uh, that moment in history where it affected all of us, I'm sure if you're listening to this or watching you remember exactly where you were. Um, if you're old enough to remember 9-11, you know where you were, what you were doing, who you were with. And so I think as we release this and you share this with everyone, which I would encourage you to do, uh, for all of us to just ponder what, what can we glean from that? And today's guest, his name is Mike Cortez. Uh, he's a board member for This Is My Story, one of my great friends. Uh, he is married to Sarah. They have four amazing children. They live right here in the Orlando area. And uh, I am privileged to actually be able to interview him and uh, have you hear his story. Before we do, I want to thank our, our show sponsors. Um, I want to thank Word of Life uh, Camps and Fellowships. Thank you guys for supporting us. If you guys uh, want to find out more about their camp ministry and uh, all of the things they have going on there, I encourage you to uh, take a look at their website. The link's down below. Um, incredible opportunity. If you're a young person, you want to go get a degree in Bible. Uh, if you just want to take a semester there, if you're an adult and go study the Bible, they have many different options and programs. Upstate New York, South Florida, uh, many different places around the world. So link below. Also, Christian Healthcare Ministries, thank you so much for supporting us. You guys, I can't say enough about them. Um, healthcare is expensive. If you don't have it through a company, um, if you're single, if you're married, you have a family, I encourage you to check that out. The link will be below as well. Um, just need to make sure that you... Uh, yeah, become aware of some great companies that are out there that uh, maybe you're not familiar with that um, can be a great replacement for maybe your, your current health care. Um, so check them out. It's a way of uh, sharing expenses if there's a need. Um, it's a community-based uh, kind of ministry and outreach that uh, we support one another. And so we love it. My wife has been with them. And uh, Natural Living, check that out. The link below if you're looking for nutrition. Um, use the hashtag uh, MyStoryMatters and you will get 15% uh, off. So Mike, welcome, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm finally doing this. We're here in the office together, the studio. So I was thinking earlier today, um, you know, we kind of rushed this together, but I, I'm thankful that we're in the same town so we could do this interview. But um, this is this is the night before, you know, yeah, 11 It is 9-11 Eve. A lot of people will be listening to this on 9-11 tomorrow, 20 anniversary. Um, what comes to your mind just initially, like as you think about this? Like what, like I tomorrow can't believe it's, it's been 20 years. Yeah, I can't believe it's been 20 years because I could see the images like many of us and it brings you right back. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's been 20 years. Yeah, it's wild, man. Yeah, it is. 2001, how old were you? I was a 22 year old kid. Wow. So, yeah, brand new on the fire department. I was 22. And I was at a great spot in my life. I thought my life was set, you know. Life was great. I worked really hard to get on the fire department. It's really difficult to, to get that, uh, to get hired with them. But, yeah, I worked really hard to get on and thought life was set. And then everything changed one Tuesday morning. Yeah. So I, I was in college. And I remember it. Roommates came around. We all gathered around. And... uh as much as I can remember it, I often, when 9-11 comes around, right. I often think about you. I appreciate that. Because, I mean, it's a miracle. I want you to share your story. I want you to tell us uh, a little bit about uh, the introduction into the fire department and then ultimately what happened. Because you're alive today, but you should not be alive. Yeah. 
by all accounts. Right. It's a miracle. Yes. And um, I love your story because I think a lot of us in life, we're just come to this place where um, we don't realize the gift that we have today. But knowing you and knowing your story, like I think often about every day is a gift. Mm-hmm. And so before we talk about the day, I have a question for you. You know, this, this podcast is really going to be to point all of us to Christ to see that, that he's the main story. So why, why Jesus Christ in your life? I mean, there's a lot of, lot of other religions in the world. There's, there's plenty of other uh, things to believe or not believe in. So yeah. for Mike Cortez, why, uh, why is your story wrapped up in, in knowing Jesus? That's a great question. Um, I grew up in church, went to church all my life as, as long as I can remember. And I remember being about a sophomore in high school. My pastor was preaching one time. And he said, there's those of you to come to church because your friends are here, your family comes here. He said, God is real. His promise is real. Try him out. And if you don't experience a change, then don't come back. And that was pretty powerful for me to think, okay, I'm in high school. So I, I felt like, okay, Lord, I know I need to start reading the word. Um, I hate to read. I grew up in the New York City public school system. So any, anytime they would have us read a book, I'd rent the movie and I'd be okay if I got a 75. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm but, right there with you on that. Yeah. But uh, I remember one night saying, Lord, you know, you're going to have to give me a desire to read. And, man, I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning, lost in the book of James. And for me, that was a moment I'll never forget when God just showed up and he's like, I'm real and I'm here. And so ever since, it's been a great, fun journey. You mentioned Word of Life. I went to Word of Life. Great. One of the best years of my life. Uh, Got to meet a lot of great friends there. Really got to shape my life even more, my faith with Christ. So great experience. Awesome, man. Yeah, I love the book of James too. I think it's uh, one of the most practical books. You could just see how everyday life um, mirrors the Bible and how the Bible gives so much more meaning to an understanding to what we live through every day. I mean, one of my favorite verses, first chapter of James, it talks about how sin enters at at our minds with a thought, the desire. And as that thought comes in, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full form, leads to death. When you dissect that verse alone, mm-hmm. you can track every single bit of your anger, your depression, your sadness back to some sort of uh, ignition. You know, a mm-hmm. moment, a relationship, a broken marriage, a broken friendship, uh, a sickness. It all comes back to that one thought. And and so I love that James is so practical that I can use that verse so often to be like, you know, where's what thought am I starting off with today? Mm-hmm. And trace it back to that. Let's dive into uh, your story. Um, take us through 9-11. Yeah. So, again, I, I graduated um, the New York City Fire Department Academy in March of 2001. I had a friend that I was trying to get together with, never worked out. And so I kind of gave up since March and he ends up calling me a couple of days before September the 11th and said, Mike, let's hang out on Tuesday. And uh, I told him I can't. He fought with me for about 30 minutes to change my shift. So I acquiesced. And uh, that morning I was supposed, I was scheduled on September 11th, 2001. I was scheduled to work my shift at engine 23, but I just made that last minute shift change. So I actually called Rich, who I planned to hang out with that day, and he flaked out on me. And then yeah. 9-11, you wake up. You're not going to work. All of a sudden, you see something on the TV. At that point, take us through like what, what it was like for you. From that moment, you realized. So, yeah, what happened was I'm, I, I get up that morning, call Rich. He flakes out on me pretty frustrated as you can imagine 
Um, the phone rings a few minutes later. It's my girlfriend. She calls me in a panic. Mike, Mike, a plane just crashed into the World Trade Center. Turn on the television. And that's what I thought. What? Are you kidding? What are you talking about? And I said, what channel? She said, it's on every channel. So I turn on and like so many millions of people, I see this gaping hole on top of the World Trade Center. And I thought, that is unbelievable. I was thinking it was a little Cessna, maybe got lost, you know, going to Teterboro and it was a foggy, cloudy day, but that was not the case. Um, and so just watching it, I immediately call my mom and dad who moved to Florida and I'm on the phone with them. Guys, are you watching this? And mom is talking about our, fr our friends that we know at the World Trade Center. Mike, what about Steve and Cynthia? And, you know, I told her, I said, mom, two breaths of that smoke and and they're gone, you know? And so it was just really a, a morning of processing through the lens of friends that we knew who would be up there, the sheer, um, the, the unbelievable task, unimaginable task it must have been for the firemen heading up there. None of us could imagine what that must have been like, climbing up that many flights of stairs with about 100 plus pounds of gear on you with the urgency that you know people need help up there, right? They're burning, they need help, and you can't worry about getting tired on the stairs. You got to make that happen. Um, and then, you know, it, and then still have the energy to fight a fire. So it just was kind of processing that. And that's when I saw the second plane hit. What was your group of guys and girls doing at that point in time? I know you were off because your friend right. was supposed to go in. He went in for you. So what were they doing at this point? Were they heading down to like... Well, I didn't know. I was off, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, but I what, honestly... What were, they, what were they doing? Do you, do you yeah, that's know? Yeah, that's a great question. Ironically, when September 11th happened, it happened um, at the change of shifts. So you had your day shift coming in and guys get in early, get an hour early. So they're getting in at eight o'clock. And then the night shift is getting off at nine, but everybody hangs out and have brec has breakfast. So I didn't even think my guys would be down there because we were all the way up in Midtown Manhattan, which is completely far. I wasn't even concerned about our firehouse at all, to be honest with you up there. Okay. Um, and obviously later on, I kind of learned that there was a different story to that. So what did they end up doing? They ended up responding. Uh, at one point when I got down to the, to the uh, trade center, I was with a friend of mine, Vinny, from my firehouse, who was also off that day and lived in Staten Island. And we're making our way under a collapsed footbridge over the, basically over the West Side Highway, which allowed a lot of pedestrians to get back and forth to the Trade Center safely. And we make our way under that footbridge, and we, nothing in the world could prepare us what we were about to see. I get out from that, you know, collapsed footbridge, and I look, and dread sets over us. Because right before us is engine 23, our fire engine. Wow. And Vinny and I, we thought, no way. And so we look at the engine. The windows are blown out. Doors and compartments are open. And it looks like the guys just took everything they could and ran straight into hell. And so we sat there in disbelief. Um, again, Manhattan is huge. So we just had no clue they'd be down there. And then I saw a guy coming to me in the distance from our firehouse. It kind of looked like a ghost because the sky was pretty dark. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's hard to see, right? Because there's so much smoke at Ground Zero. Yeah, well, it, it was smoky, but I, you know, he came from a little bit of a distance, and I thought, is that Tony? It was a guy, Tony, from our firehouse. So I, Vinny, and I are relieved now. Oh, thank God! And then when he got up to us, we said, Vinny, uh, Tony, where are the guys, man? Where are the guys? And then he looks, he just says, Mike, Vinny, and he looks over and he points to the trade center. He's like, they were in there. And I look over and I see. 
you know, this huge, massive collapsed building. I mean, it really was just a bunch of rubble. It was a, it was a disaster unlike anything you could imagine. And so your mind tries to jump out of that. Like, okay, I'm sure they're around. That's There's no way. And then I realized I just changed my shift to work, uh, to get off of work with Papa George, Jimmy Papa George. He's the guy that took my spot. And I remember thinking... I asked Tony, I said, was Papa George in? Hoping that he wouldn't be. But he said, yeah, he was on He was on today. And wow. then I thought, man. So that was a pretty a pretty tough reality to, yeah. to hit that. Now, they weren't actually in that building, though, right? The first one that you looked at? Well, actually, yeah, it was all a mess, yeah. right? But we, we, we didn't know what tower they were in for months later. Um, we did find out several months later. Because remember, we lost, we lost 343 firefighters. Wow. So there was so many guys filling in different houses and we'd always have like, an, you know, one or two firemen that weren't part of our firehouse just covering and we'd cover shifts. And I was off that day, but the guys told me, they said one, one guy came in, he said, Hey, I know where 23 was that day. That was in 23. And he said, we, they were, we were on the top floor of the Marriott hotel. So the world trade center, right? Two tall buildings. Uh, and right underneath was the world trade center Marriott hotel. He said, we're on the 21st floor evacuating the hotel. We heard the rumble. And the guy said, I look over and I saw your guys in the hallway. And then the next thing, the huge collapse. And I look over and I could see 21 stories down. So if you see the images of the Marriott afterwards, it looks like, you know, a huge kind of U almost. And so. Just fell. Did anyone survive? Not in our company, no. Wow. Yeah. Man. And so here you are today, man. Talk yeah. to me about, uh, you know, how you wrap your mind around, you know, you you living and, uh, you know, Papa, is it Papa Joe? Yeah, Papa George. Papa Jam- George. Jimmy Papa George. Jimmy Papa George. Or James, yeah. Um, you know, I remember there was a time, I think, when you went to the funeral where you had this moment where you felt like, survivor's guilt, which until 9-11, until you and I talked, I didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. So what, what yeah. is that? And what was that experience like for you? It was, it was really painful. Um, and, uh, something I don't wish on anybody. I remember, you know, obviously after 9-11, there's a lot of things that people are not aware of. A lot of the pain that came even after the, t- the collapse of the towers. It was the pain of having the families come in. Hey, where's my loved one? Have they found them? Where's my husband? You know, the kids coming in. Where's daddy? We don't have anything for them. Uh, and so some families got to the point where they realized, okay, we have to have a moral service or do we wait for a funeral? And some would elect to do a memorial service. So the guy that took my spot, we were at his memorial service. And I can remember his sister. I know they were pretty close. She was an EMT with FDNY. Uh, She got up there giving the eulogy in tears. And she said, I just got a call from Jimmy just a couple days before. And he said, or the night before, he's like, sis, I can't hang out tomorrow. Sorry, I just got called into work. And when I was at his funeral, that I just wanted to melt in my chair because that call was for me. Wow. And I felt like I put a man in the grave. And then at one point I did, I just wanted to stand, stand up and be like, Helen, I am so sorry. And just, just 
begging the family for forgiveness, saying, I had no idea I would change it. My, I would change places with him. That's what I wanted to do. Mm. But firemen don't talk about emotions, so you just kind of bottle it up and put it in. And um, But it wasn't until recently that God just revealed to me uh, through this incredible uh, retreat that I went to called Boot Camp that we often make agreements in hurt, agreements with the enemy in hurt. So... I realized. So where did you go to this boot camp at? Uh, in Orlando, or yeah, it was with our church, Discovery. But it's um, okay, cool. John. El- it's John Elridge wrote the book Wild at Heart. It's based yeah, on yeah. that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and you know, one of the questions he said he talks about when we have agreements, and so they give you time to sit with the Lord and ask the Lord to reveal that to you. So I sat alone, beautiful spot. I thought, Lord, I don't have any daddy issues. I don't have any issues. You know, I'm not really. I don't know. I just didn't think I had any agreements, and then God put something on my heart. And I thought, Lord, I've kind of been dealing with that. You know, we talked about Pam and stuff. Pam's yeah. really helped me kind of through some of that. I thought I had completed that, but he pressed, impressed in my heart again that I, I kind of made this agreement that I, I need to live a life because it wasn't just James's Jimmy's funeral. It was so many other funerals. Um, but I need to live a life worthy of a second chance. And so that really made its way into so many different areas of my life and God just had to show that to me. And so by his grace, I was able to break that agreement and it was just incredibly freeing. I didn't even realize I did that until, what are we, almost 20 years into it, you yeah. know? It's amazing. So, what, what do you think when you say it's freeing, what, what was it that God was doing? He was taking something from you in exchange, giving you something. He took you... something that I thought was noble, the sense of I have to live a life of purpose to honor my fallen brothers. Um, but it's not scriptural. It's, it was not of the Lord because really I'm supposed to live a life worthy of, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to live a life in the light of, you know, who I am in Christ, not trying to be worthy in the light of men. So you were in a sense just kind of carrying the weight of your past and performing in such a way to make sure that you could make up for it. Well, shaming myself. Yeah. yeah performing. I'd say in shaming myself too, because yeah. I never, never measured up. You know, I didn't feel like I was as good enough as a father or a friend or a son um, as I wanted to be. You know, my expectations, what I thought they should be. Um, and so that's that's hard, but Man. by God's grace, it's he broke that agreement. That's cool. Yeah. Man, the freedom in that, because that's, not everybody's going to have the same story, but we all understand what it's like to feel like you need to perform and perfectionism and carrying the weight of your past along with you. Right. And it's, it's, uh, I love what you said, just getting with God and going into the woods and saying, God, what is it? Like, what do you want to speak to me about? Right. So many times we, we want to be joyful. We want to be happy. We want to forgive. We want, you know, something's wrong. We can't really figure it out, but we never go sit with God. Right. And I love that you, you're just like, Lord, whatever, whatever it is. And, and you didn't go sit there and say, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm cool. I don't need this. Your desire was, Lord, whatever. It's something that happened 20 years ago. God speaks to you about. Yeah. It's powerful. It is. And, you know, I think what's what's even more alarming is that we we live with things that we're not even aware of that are pervading our thoughts, how we yeah. affect our relationships, you know. So I think those, what, I, I just gave a talk at our church this past week, a couple of times, and one of the things I came up with is, don't let September eleven. September eleven definitely needs to be a day of remembrance, absolutely. But I think 
it should be a day of reflection as well. A day where we get yeah. alone, whether it's in the woods, whatever is ideal, where we shut off our phones and you put it on your calendar. Because if it's not in your calendar, it doesn't exist. And, you know, you send that time asking the Lord, like, to examine your heart and, and being quiet and patient and really letting him speak to you. That is a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, so, I don't know. Well, reflection, you know, and, and why can't we have the heart of 9-11 every day? Right. I mean, 9-11 jarred all of us. Like, a, life life was coming to an end, and I, it, it's like you, no matter where you were, who you were, you reflected. Right. I mean, yeah. now, and, now and, it's like and we just want to get entertained until the point where we go to bed, right. you know, pursue things, get entertainment, family, friends, go places, do things, work. And then next yeah. day, we're, we're never really stopping and saying, reflecting, you know, just like you said, to reflect. Um, that's the moment that we are actually quieting our minds and allowing God to speak into us. Like the peace that we need is mm-hmm. going to come in the moment where we quiet down everything else in our lives. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's really because a lot of times tragedy has a way of recalibrating our priorities, right? Somebody, I mean, we're dealing with COVID right now. So you yeah. find out my uncle just passed away from COVID. And so um, you also, somebody gets a call, it's cancer. And in that moment, Priorities yeah. really establish yeah. themselves, right? The things we think are important, working, image, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you possessions. Know, it doesn't, and, and it was really interesting to see after 9-11, you talked about how, why can't we be, why can't it be like it was after 9-11. Um, I can remember in New York after September 11th, it didn't matter if you were Democrat, Republican. Yeah. We were all Americans and there was a tremendous tremendous beauty in that yeah let's let's talk about that um because i I think there's a huge um learning point when we kind of lean into what happened on 9-11 i love was as as i've talked to you about that day in details over and Mm -hmm. over again um i felt like i can be there and i felt like it's it's real for me as opposed to when i think about 9-11 from where i was right in college yeah it was different right and so what what you haven't shared this yet but I think it's pretty astounding. You got off the couch, you made your way down to the station, you got on a ferry, you end up over there at, at the city, ground zero. You don't have a fire uniform. You're on this big, you're wearing this gigantic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to, I, so I, tell I, us about, you're, you're, you're 19 years old, you're 20 years old. You're not even dressed to be, you know, at a small little house fire, let alone right. 9-11. So walk us through, you're there, what are you wearing, what are you seeing, and then, you know, I want you to get to that point where you end up, I know that you see somebody, you go to reach in to save them. Yeah. That's the moment of the gravity of the situation for you. So real quick, um, I couldn't get into Manhattan because it was locked down and I ended up having to head to Staten Island's division headquarters. Yeah. And I'm in khaki shorts and a blue FDNY shirt. Um, the chief tells us we got to head down to the Staten Island ferry terminal to be a triage unit for all these bodies that are going to come over. So I decided, let me just grab a bunker coat and a helmet. Um, and so obviously with my tall 5'5 five, five stature, it was hard for me to find boot pants and that would yeah. fit me. Because you weren't at your normal station. No, I wasn't. Normal, so I station. actually was at a different firehouse and I decided, yeah. let me just grab a bunker coat so I have some kind of protection from what may be coming. And we get down there and nobody's come over. And finally the chief said, hey, anybody who uh, works in Manhattan, you could take the ferry over and check on your guys. And I board the ferry. 
I look up and I recognize the captain, his Mr. Cruz from my church. His daughter and I were super close friends in youth group. And then he comes down to greet me and my heart just sinks. I can feel the blood rush out of my face. I'll never forget it because I knew his daughter worked at the 95th floor of that tower. Uh, the first tower that was here, he comes down. I just said her name, Cynthia. I couldn't say anything. And he looks and he's like, Mike, thank God she was late today. And I was, that was a huge well, sigh of relief. Yeah, your friend, your friend made it. Yeah. Out unfortunately she, I, she worked at a company called Canada Fitzgerald. The whole company was wiped out and just oh, been really difficult for her. So we get over there and you know, Manhattan, you've been in New York city, right? Yep. Bustling, always stuff going on. Vinny and I get to the West side highway and just to give you a lay of the land, it's about a 10 minute walk from the ferry terminal. We start walking up the West Side Highway where the trade centers were, and it looked like, how to describe it? I mean, it was like a foot of snow in lower Manhattan. And your mind is adjusting to, hold on a second, this is the West Side Highway. There's no traffic at like 10 o'clock. This road is always packed. And it's car fires. We start to see car fires burning. Nobody's trying to put it out. There's papers and documents everywhere. Everything is covered in soot. And it was eerily quiet, you know, almost like after a snowfall, it kind of muffles out the typical city sounds. Yeah. And so Vinny and I just keep looking up and I'm, I just like, where the hell are the towers? I can't I just, where are the towers? And, you know, cause you'd think like, we didn't even know by that time there was a total collapse. You th- each building was 110 stories tall. Each floor was an acre. So you're thinking at least there'll be, 30 stories of rubble, right? It was nothing. Wow. So as we get closer, the sky just gets darker. And Vinny and I were looking for leadership. We were looking for a command station as to where we can meet up with chiefs and they can deploy yeah. us to wherever we need Because it to was be. chaotic, right? It was chaotic. And I saw... There's people running everywhere. There's, there's people, people walking around in shock. Yeah. I got down there about maybe an hour after people the towers cover, collapsed. People that are walking are covered in this Covered soot in soot, and, you and know. Dust. And I see, so the first fire chief I see, he's, I'm thinking, oh, we saw a chief and we walk over, but I stopped because I saw him leaning against the median of the West Side Highway and his head is cradled in his hands and he looks up and he looks back down and he never said a word, but you can tell he was just thinking, we just lost a ton of men, yeah. a ton of people just died. So yeah, that's when we, we just started looking around down there for ways we can help. We got down to World Trade Center 7. Imagine this 47-story building, the seven floors burning out of control in a big city and nobody's trying to do anything about it, you know? Um, so eventually, when we saw Tony and he told us the guys were in there, we decided to get up on the pile and start to look for them. And at one point, I get up and I, I, I step on a flat surface and I, my feet just flew out from underneath me and I land with a hollow thump. I thought that was weird. And I wipe off the ground and I realize I'm standing on an ambulance. I had no idea I was wow. standing on an ambulance. And so that's when I look around, I surveyed the scene thinking, where am I? I think I'm on the West Side Highway. And there's a sea of first responder vehicles below me. Wow. Just all, look, all abandoned, right? Just Well, you hope, I mean, I'm sure there were people around them or underneath them trying to run and couldn't get out and just got crushed by the oh. debris. Um and, and you're still you're still wearing big old boots and 
shorts. Shorts. So I I actually scolded myself. I said, bro, Dan, you got dude, you got to be careful, man. If you fall, because at a typical fire, you're not worried about getting hurt. There's always paramedics there. There's other people to help you out. Yeah, there's nothing. Dude. And they yeah, and you got all this gear on. You're not worried about it. You have a lot of support. And over here, when we were down there, I just thought, if you sever an artery, it's it. I mean, because I'm looking around, it's a 16 acre smoldering scrapyard pile with massively thick beams twisted like paper. The aluminum that the building was framed in, concrete dust everywhere. The common thread that thread that ran through the fabric of that disaster was the elevator cable. It was like 98 elevators, I think, in the trade center. And all you could think about was the poor people on the elevators that yeah. might have gotten stuck. And so, you know, I just looked at them. I was like, if hell, if you get hurt, nobody's coming for you. Yeah. And that was a that was a sense of dread right there. You know, like, and nobody's... Yeah, that, that was, like, the reality of what was really happening. That was you, reality. You get on the ferry, you ride over, yep. you, you see a plane at the, the, the building, but you're not thinking it's going to be what Ground Zero really was. We had no just, idea what to expect. No, I mean, I, mean, you, I thought... We did you see, see... Did you see anyone jump out of the buildings? I mean, that, that to me, no. was one of the worst memories that I have. Right. Was when the TV media programs were, were seeing, showing people jumping out. I mean, I... Because you think how bad did it have to be up there for them to make that choice? That's horrible. So at this point, you're on top of the ambulance. Right. And you see this lady's foot. This is kind of the first person. Yeah. Or walk me through that. Walk me through. You're sitting, standing on that. Standing on an ambulance, realizing just how how bad it is. So I see the woman and I start to make... I'm starting to talk. I see you, ma'am. I'm coming to get you. And I get up to her and I can see that she's buried and I just, you can't, I couldn't see what was below her. It could have been a cavity. So I grab her, I, I grab her foot, try and like wiggle it out and it's not moving. So I start to dig and that's when I'm like, I felt helpless because I felt like an ant on a pile of twisted, shredded tin cans, yeah. rebar and stuff. So I pull out, I, I try and pull a bit harder thinking I'll get movement and it was just her foot no. and her ankle. Um, and that's, I don't, that's not to be morbid. It's just I remember looking at this ironically clean foot with red nail polish on it thinking oh my that this is somebody's mom, somebody's sister. And, um, yeah, that was just, that uh, was tough. And then to think, okay, just in that moment, I thought, what do I do with her, right? So we don't have a body. I'm not going to leave her here. And wow. I put her in my fire coat, my bunker coat pocket. Did they use that to identify her later? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. As I think about what I've learned from your story, mm-hmm. it is, you you were saying to me that even earlier you touched on this, that that day it didn't matter, you know, what you believed, didn't matter, the color of your skin. Like, right. What, what, how did you feel? Like, how, what were the things happening? Well, it was... It was surreal, man, is all I can say. Um, in those days when the firehouses would be would have missing members, they would put a table out front, put their pictures there. Um, neighbors would come, bring flowers, and then it got to the point where the community was coming, bringing food and meals and businesses are bringing stuff. And so you just got... To, you, you just had a ton of people come by the firehouse, try and pray with you, express empathy... And uh, I remember being on the pile that day. I didn't even realize what time it was and that I hadn't had anything to eat. And I just kind of walked down to the street for a little bit. And um, 
it might have been probably eight o'clock at night, and this lady comes over. She's like, "Hey, can I give you a can I give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich?" And she had a little basket, and I saw. I thought, "Oh yeah, sure." And it was the best peanut butter and jelly I had ever. And I don't know if it was so much for the taste, but if it was, I think it was more just the heart of this woman. You know, I just felt love, compassion, and empathy. Typically, I wouldn't take food from strangers in New York City, just so you know, yeah, right? Yeah, me neither. Let's just get that out there. But, um, yeah, things like that happened. Um, there's so many stories of people who you would never think coming together, coming together. And not only just coming together, but coming together and praying. That was what was ironic. I shouldn't say it's ironic. It's just it's how we were wired. The two most conversations talked about in those days were about God and the relationships he had. Yeah. And so that was kind of... Interesting, interesting to see. Yeah. And I, uh, I what I kind of learned from that and I, I've processed is is the heart of the people. The heart of 9-11 changed everybody, right. you know, for that short period of time. You know, now I think we've spent 20 years, we've moved on, we've forgotten it, right? We've forgotten the heart. We haven't forgotten what happened. But that day, like you said, there was no Democrat, no Republican, no black, no white, no Asian. No one cared about anything other than are you alive and are you okay and what can I do to help you? Right. And you and fast forward yeah. 20 years. We've we've gone really far from that. If you look at look at the media, look at society. It's every single like I think about what is the Christian narrative? What are we supposed to be focusing on in our story? Is it about what political thing we believe in? Is it about, do I want the vaccine? Do I not? Is it safe? Should I take it? Should I wear a mask, not wear a mask? We spend so much of our time spitting out all of our energy, our opinions on these things that matter, like nothing. They literally mean nothing in this life. And I feel like in 9-11, it was, it was the near death, like the earth shattering news. The so many lost their lives that we all realize that this day is a gift. Right. Why would we waste it? Like, why are we wasting our time doing anything other than saying, Lord, this is this could be the last day I have. Mm. Or Lord, who could I love today? Forget all the other things. Like, what's what in what ways am I spending my energy with the lady, the attitude that you all had on 9-11, that we all sort of had, we all came together. Uh, I think we need like when you think about reflecting, I started to reflect on on what I will do about 9-11, how I will move forward with 9-11. And it'll definitely be having the heart of the people and the heart of 9-11. Kevin, you know, I'll tell you, I feel like God just put something in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, you you brought up an incredible point. I mean, after 9-11, we were all Americans. And when I say that, we had people come from all around the world, Australia, Italy, and they would tell us today we're Americans. Wow. And so it was a sense of unity. You know, obviously they weren't Americans, but they were just saying, in spirit, we're here with you. And yeah, you're right. Now it's the vaccines. It's it's all of the, the issues that have arisen, which have really, I believe it's it's the spirit of um, the enemy comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And it's the spirit of division. And I think when I mentioned earlier, I learned that in hurt, we tend to make agreements or in fear. And I just wonder if a lot of people inadvertently in the fear of the, you know, uh, let's say the vaccine and COVID or, or loss of life, they make agreements and they, it, it's, it's, it's like a, a hill that they want to die on as opposed to, yeah. as opposed to the unif- unification of the body of Christ and the unification of others. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it would just be interesting to see 
what agreements do people make where they are not seeing everything else clearly, but they're seeing it through the lens of of kind of where they're positioned. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. The new, the lens of eternity uh, too. Like, um, you know, it's it's easier on. It was easier on that day to think about life as being short. Um, but as you kind of move on and years go by, you don't really think that. You kind yeah. of feel like you're going to live forever. Right. For me, 9-11 is that moment to realize if it's not about eternity, I'm not going to make a big deal about it. You know, yeah. if, if your choice is that you want to be one particular thing with politically, your choice is that you want to identify with the LGBTQ, you know, even though I might not agree with it, I might not see that stance in the Bible. Ultimately, I'm just concerned from my relationship with God that I love God, that he's the most important thing in my life. I'm not going to be perfect. Yeah. The other thing is that I would love people, that I would make sure that they feel loved, that they feel that God loves them. Right. And uh, use my energy doing that thing. And have a heart for the real, the realization that every day is a gift. Um, yeah. So before we wrap up, um, which by the way, uh, Mike, you gave me some videos. I put together a little mi- one minute montage um, on last year, I believe, the year before. So I'll put a link in the description below for that. Okay. Um, if you guys want to check out that, that's a video of, of Mike being down in 9/11. Um, it's also just a compilation of of all the the kind of the highlight moments of 9/11. Um, I encourage you to watch it. It is, it is, uh, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I want to say one other thing too. Uh, something that God taught me, I really struggled with my faith. I, not that I didn't believe in God, but I, if there was any, if there was ever a reason to be angry with God, I, I felt like I had that opportunity there. Um, you know, seeing so many friends lost and then coming home and having, you know, calls from family saying, my God spared you. And I would think, what about my friends? What about so and so who had a, a kids? Like I, I, and so I really struggled with that because you know you go from the church talk to like this is real life, smack you upside the head, and you either have an answer or you don't, you know. And so I remember in that moment not having an answer, and I said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You're gonna have to show up. I need you to come. I need you to make sense of this. And uh, at one point, I had one guy's in the firehouse ask me, Mike, you mean to tell me the good people who be- who didn't believe in Jesus? If they didn't believe in Jesus, they're going to go to the same place that the terrorists who slammed the planes into the building are, go- are going to go. There's a lot of tough questions that I wrestle with. But I just said when I prayed, Lord, you got to show up. I need clarity. God is so faithful, man. A few days later, he put this verse in my heart, Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed for a man once to die, and then face the judgment. And God just made it clear to me that day, we live entitled sometimes as if we think we're going to live till we're 70 or 80. And that's not that's not the reality. People would say, wow, he died early, but maybe that was his appointed time. And so the question yeah. is, are we ready? You know, and that's what I, that was what I got from it, is always living in light of um, eternity, can come a lot sooner than we think, and almost living your life through the lens of a funeral. You know, what really is going to matter at the end. Yeah, that's a good thought. Yeah, what will matter at the end kind of changes our thoughts on what we'll do today, tomorrow, next week. It kind of changes the perspective of my children, Mm -hmm. how I treat them, how I love them, how I spend time with them, my friends. Um, 
you know, I have a lot of friends that aren't believers. They don't believe in God or, you know, maybe they used to have a lot of friends that are like that. And, um, at the end of the day, like you said, it's, you know, God didn't cause 9-11 to happen. It's evil. And God didn't cause us to die, but we're going to die. And the hope yeah. that I have is just the decision that you've made, that I've made, that everyone we have on the show has made. And I'll just be the decision to say it at the end of this life, at the end, when my physical body dies, I do believe that there's a God and there's another side of this life. There's mm-hmm. another side. Look in the stars, look in the, the heavens at night and the moon and the galaxies and wonder, ponder, how did it all get here? Design. Design. This God is so good. And, and, um, you know, a lot of people want, they come at you like they want you to explain this, Mike. If you believe in God, then you explain this. And there's so many things in life you can't explain, you know, it's, that's what I mean, faith is. Yeah. Look at your watch. You know, it wasn't metal having a party in a junkyard, right? You can recognize the design, yeah. you know, so. Well, I don't have a watch now. I got an iPhone. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, man, um, I love you, brother. Love you too, man. I appreciate I'll you back finally on the show. Me. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm excited about it. And so, uh, listen, in the comments section, you guys, I think it'd be cool. Find out where were you on 9-11? Who were you with? And uh, and how did it make you feel? Yeah, how did it make you feel? I think that's what one uh, common thing I see is whenever people, because I never really like to talk about my story that much, but it was a pastor really encouraged me to do it, and he passed away, and that was one of his last requests, Jim Cummins, great guy. And um, But anytime, I, you know, if I talk to somebody about it, they have a story. It's not just my story. I don't wish this on anybody, man. But they have a story of where they were and remember how they felt, like maybe they hug their loved ones a little tighter. Maybe they thought, I'm working too much, you know? And so I just would encourage people to go back to that and really re- that's the point of reflecting and then yeah. deciding what changes need to take place. Cool, man. So what would you say to someone that uh, maybe is hanging on to something like you were, hanging on to your survival guilt? I mean, it could be a, a myriad of things that someone's hanging on to. Um, it could be a broken relationship, could be unforgiveness to someone, a friend yeah. that's that's harmed you, that's offended you, that's been carrying it for years. It could be something that's been done to you. You could have been abused. I know you can't speak to every situation specifically, sure. but what, what would you encourage individuals who are listening in any capacity who are just been carrying something just to move forward? I'll share a quick story as to why, and then I'll share my thought on that. Uh, I It was a guy that I didn't like to work with. It just made my life difficult. I'm sure everybody's got people in their life that kind of makes your life difficult. He died on 9-11. As I'm at his funeral, I, I, I honestly hated him, unfortunately. I'm, I'm ashamed to say it. But at his funeral, I noticed to my left, his wife was broken crying. And he, she's clutching her two toddlers. And in that moment, all I could think about is I had no idea this guy had kids. And I was crying. Like, I had no idea he had kids. Like, did I hate him that much? This is somebody's daddy. Like, they're not, he's not coming home, you know? Yeah, I preface it really quick. You hated him because you guys had some tough work. Well, yeah, he just, you know, sometimes you can make life difficult for a new fireman. And he just wasn't. You know, I mean, I, I, you had to earn respect and I really worked hard and and every fire I was in, I was fortunately able to do that. Yeah. I just don't want people to think that you just hated somebody. Oh, sorry. If I didn't preface that. Yeah, just tough tensions and just, we didn't hang out, but it just didn't, yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. So that was something that festered. Yeah. And in fact, to the point where I wanted to get, I wanted to change firehouses because when he was working, I just kind of dreaded it. It was like, it's not going to be a fun shift. Um, but yeah, I just. 
you know, I learned a really painful lesson about bitterness that the bitter person loses in the end. So to get back to your question, I mean, I'm sure there's people are dealing with whether they're abused or a reason to be bitter or what's going on now politically or whatever. Um, I would say that in all honesty, Kevin, they don't have the power to do that. I would, I would, that's where they would need to get along with the Lord and ask the Lord to reveal that. Maybe some people could do it. You feel like, okay, I can forgive this person, but at a heart level, you know, it's going to have to be an act of the Holy spirit to either reveal that to them. Cause I didn't know I had some, you know, maybe it's, maybe they're thinking about something, but it could be something completely different. So it's saying, Lord, examine my heart and then doing it not in their own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit yeah. and just being free. It feels good to be free. It does. Yeah. It does. Just because you know God and you're a Christian does not mean that you will carry these things with you. Right. You know, and for you, you left this, that fire station, went to the other one. And it's like, it's not out of sight, out of mind. You know, yeah. you can't leave the, the brokenness in terms of the physical location of seeing that guy every time. It's still in your heart, right. the unforgiveness. So, yeah. hey, I want to give you an opportunity. What would you say to, to this guy's... What was this guy's name? John. John. Yeah. His wife's name? Yeah. Um, I think it's Renee. Renee. What would you say to her if she was listening? I mean, I haven't thought about that, but um, I would just beg her for forgiveness, you know, to being just short-sighted and selfish and not seeing the whole picture, you know? Um, nobody deserves, nobody deserves that. And, uh, I mean, just that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Deeply, deeply sorry. Yeah. And I live with that pain, you know? Well, in honor of Jimmy, I thought it might be good to also, uh, just give you a moment to say something to his, his wife, uh, kids maybe. Yeah. So Jimmy had a fiance and a son and got married, but I'll say something in honor of Jimmy. A lot of times you go to funerals and you hear about the stories about some of these guys, great guys. I can tell you I was in the company of giants. Um, while at his funeral, his sister told the story that Jimmy became uh, an EMT, then paramedic, because, before he became a fireman, because he genuinely loved to help people. And he, he loved to help people so much that he had an extra EMT bag, medic bag in his car they always kept in case he ever came across somebody who, you know, needed help. And one day he came home from work on the FDR drive and there was a car accident that had just taken place and emergency crews haven't, didn't arrive on the scene yet. He jumped out of the car, grabbed his bag and helped this woman. He actually intubated her, which is a pretty significant process. And he was credited with saving her life. And so I just thought like in honor of, you know, the fallen, my fallen brothers, and instead of hearing those stories, I think it's our, it's our duty to pick up where they left off to be the Jimmy Papa Georges, to be ready to help others, to have a heart that's not inward focused, but outward focused and to, and just to step up, you know, and not just be the heroes to everybody else, but to our, our wives, our kids, our loved ones. And, uh, yeah, just to step up with it, pick up where they left off. Cool, man. Well, Mike, thanks, bro. It's been a great having you on, man. It's, uh, it's been an honor, man. I love you, and uh, thank you for coming on at this time in uh, 20-year anniversary of 9-11 to, re- yeah. to help us all be able to reflect 
uh, more on our, our story. Anyway, that's a wrap for us. Uh, thank you for tuning into this episode. Please be sure to share this episode of, of Mike's story, uh, especially on this 9-11 day where uh, a lot of people need to be reminded of what happened that day, but also that we can walk away with some insight and some wisdom of how to live and how to move forward. There's a lot of amazing things that uh, Mike talked about today. And so the link to that video as well about 4911 will be down in the description below. And uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. And uh, remember, you have a story and it matters more than you know. Oh, that bro. was a question I've never been asked. <laughs>